What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. This week, we are on episode number 99, and so it is getting exciting. We're just one week away from the centenary episode, uh, episode 100. I'm trying to think, what should I talk about? So if you guys have any thoughts on what I should cover on episode number 100, please do uh, write in, send me a DM, whatever it is. Um, last week, we were speaking about the invasion on Ukraine and what kind of impact it's going to have on the investment market. And by that, I meant, you know, in, with this inflation spike and all of these different aspects and uh, sentiment kind of getting a bit low in the investment community. That was the uh, general view. And uh, a couple of people have written out and sort of said they found it helpful. So thanks for your comments, guys. If you have any comments, by the way, I should mention that um, just leave a comment in uh, the YouTube video below, or if you're listening to this on the podcast, just reach out um, by a DM or something like that, and you can um, you can connect with me there. Last uh, This week, my guest is Shane Fleming. Now, anyone who has been listening to this show for the last sort of 12 months or 24 months, you will have, you know, I usually have kind of a good mix of guests, but in the last couple, uh, like in the last, say, month and a half or two, uh, just by accident, it happens to have been all US-based interview guests. And uh, so like pretty much just by chance, it's been people have been writing, sort of suggesting that I, you know, I could come on the show or whatever. And so I said, OK. And so uh, pretty much every guest I've had so far has been a US in the, in the last couple of episodes anyway, has been a US-based guest. This week, I wanted to bring in an Irish guest. And the funny thing is, is what we actually have is a little bit of both. We have a, a guy called Shane Fleming, who is, um, he is an Irish property agent. He's grown up in Ireland. He's done all of his business in Ireland. But during lockdown, he moved to New York City. And he was unable to work in New York City because he didn't have a green card yet. And so he, um, he was working in Ireland using virtual meetings and all of that. Uh, yet he's based in New York City. Now, he's going to tell us that story today, uh, along with his background and the usual kind of thing. But Shane also has a popular YouTube channel. And so I'm just going to plug his channel while at the same time plugging mine. So you guys, if, you've, if you haven't already, please go over to the channel and subscribe to Gavin J. Gallagher. And I should mention that this podcast that you're listening to right now is now uploaded on, it's called Behind the Facade Real Estate Investment, and it is a channel of its own with the entire video interview in video format there. So you can go over and check that out. But listen, it's time to get into the episode, my chat with Mr. Shane Fleming, and without further ado, let's get into the show. You are listening to Behind the Facade, and I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher. On this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Shane Fleming, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me today. Not at all. I'm, I'm delighted to have you. So Shane, you're going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting chatting with you because you're an Irish agent and you do Irish business, but you're actually currently based in New York City. Isn't that right? 
That is right. I suppose I am an Irish agent. I've worked in Irish real estate for the last 16, 17 years, but for the last year I have been in New York. Interesting. So we're going to get into all of that. Um, but before we do, can you just like take us back to, you know, um, what actually attracted you to real estate? I mean, what was a young Shane Fleming uh, doing in school and college and things like that, that kind of brought you into this industry? Um, well, I suppose what brought me into the industry, I was very interested in property, perhaps property development from a very young age. Uh, there was one or two kind of distant family members that are, were very involved in construction and development. So I, I kind of understood a little bit in terms of what they did. Actually, when I look back in my in terms of my history, uh, my grandfather had a, a, a brick uh, factory in Leash. So there was some sort of construction blood there always. So I think it was in my nature to be involved in property and construction. When I was, I was lucky enough to go to a school that offered um, construction studies and woodwork, and I really excelled at that and was one of my favorite subjects. I was dyslexic, so it kind of, I don't know what it was about it, but it really kind of uh, construction and uh, everything to do with uh, development really attracted me for some reason in terms of the design side of things and spatial awareness, so I was quite good at it as well. So all of that kind of really kind of drove me towards property. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I think I came up in terms of a time in college or in terms of school, I came up pretty much just as the Celtic Tiger was starting to roar and there were some fantastic developments happening in Ireland and some well-known developers who were really kind of taking the headlines. So when I was a young teenager, that's kind of what was in the media and kind of maybe was a bit impressionable too. Mm, yeah, that would definitely be an influence. And so what did you actually study in college before you so I went and did a degree in property economics. Um, so Is that, that Bolton Street? Bolton Street, yeah. I did that for four years in Bolton Street. Um, really enjoyed that. Met lots of uh, nice people in my class there. At Bolton Street's a strange college. It's like 80% male, but for whatever reason, our class was about 50-50 split. So at least there was a little bit of a balance within the class, but really enjoyed my time there for four years. Most of my uh, counterparts within my class went off and worked for agencies like the big, the big four agencies in terms of um, Savills, CBRE, Jones Lang and all that. I, I didn't really, that didn't really attract me at the time. I, I was more interested in the kind of learning about property itself and the development of property and uh, the property business rather than the agency side of business. Um, so I actually, my parents, if my parents ever do listen to this, they probably won't thank me for this, but I do remember them forcing me to go and do interviews with a lot of these big four uh, companies. I remember sitting down at one and uh, they turned around to me halfway through and go, do you really actually want the job here? And I was like, not really, no. And they were like, why are you here? And I was like, because my dad's given out to me for not going to interviews and I just want to satisfy that. Uh, but I was really lucky to... Um, because I think I knew what I wanted to do at that time. And I think I was really lucky that uh, I got a job with Tesco Ireland uh, within their property team, which was involved in actually site acquisitions, planning permissions, uh, developing site out. So they had a site acquisition team, they had a construction team, they had lots of external consultants from engineers and architects. So these, there was a huge amount of project management. And even though it was retail um, development, you were getting involved in lots of stuff. With some Construction of the stuff in, and all that, yeah. You know, we, there were some even residential sites because some, some sites were so big that the councils would say you have to put some sort of apartment complex on this or housing. So there was a mix of everything. Wow, I really learned so much. I would say I probably learned uh, more in my three or four years in Tesco 
uh, than I did anywhere else in my career. Uh, it was a fantastic, and I'm really glad I made that kind of definite decision when I was that age coming out of college that I didn't want to step into the agency first I wanted that's to yeah I think that was a really that's a really interesting move that's the first I've kind of heard of somebody kind of going that route because I actually over the years I've had a lot of um, sort of dealings with people in the real estate departments and stuff like that of large firms like that that have a we say it's not a branch network, but have a national presence or whatever, and they're developing in different regions and parts of the of the country. So interesting. And I mean, what was the transition from from that then? Where did you jump into? Was it straight into Shane Fleming? No. So I initially, my initial plan was um, my initial plan was to stay with Tesco for about three or two or three years, maybe maybe four become get chartered and once I got chartered the plan was to go out on my own at that stage so I always had the idea that I was going to go out on my own uh, what happened then was uh, the crash and um, I actually saw it coming for a while but uh, I saw the, the crash happened I was like I'm not jumping into starting up on my own right now it's not the right time um, I left Tesco and went traveling for a few months and came back and worked for IBRC and I was oh, okay I, I went I went to go for a job interview or think for within their NAMA kind of valuations team but when I after the interview they offered me a position in terms of trying to sort out their own uh, property portfolio which was all the branch network uh, there was a lot of investment properties that the, both banks uh, nationwide and Anglo had so they were trying to figure out what was this where was it so there was a huge amount of due diligence for a year or two and then actually disposing of that and it, that was a huge learning curve from a due diligence point of view, which is, as you know, is incredibly important from a property side of things. And I think yes. a lot of people don't quite understand the, the amount of due diligence that is actually required um, to be successful in terms of acquisition. So that was a huge learning curve for me. And also because it was a little bit high profile in terms of like the branch network selling, it had to be uh, very kind of sensitive in terms of your job, in terms of what you're doing for probably about a year, because you ultimately knew the branch network was going to be sold, but there was lots of staff and everything else uh, within that branch network. And it was sensitive from a political point of view as well. And mm. under, under scrutiny, I, there was a few um, uh, government information requests sent in and there was a few, few different kind of hairy moments in regards to what, why you made certain decisions. So, but that was a huge learning curve. Um, but I knew that wasn't going to be long-term. I knew that was always going to be short-term. When I went into that position, it was about, um, it was about just a kind of a stopgap. What I kind of felt uh, to myself was I still wanted to go out on my own. And I was, I think I was getting to a point where I had learned enough from that due diligence side of stuff. I was lucky enough that uh, JLL approached me at that time and they asked if I'd be interested in, in moving to JLL. Um, there was one or two people I knew in JLL from my Tesco days. So they kind of, they had an opening and they, they approached me directly. Went there, worked there for a few years. What department, uh, what, what JLL department? I worked within their property management department, but I was mainly kind of looking after kind of um, more kind of client facing reporting towards um some of the REITs and some of the, the funds and stuff like that so it gave me a different exposure uh, to the right. property side of the business um it was it was mainly kind of coordinating kind of different property managers um accounts uh, as well as kind of lettings and all that kind of stuff to make sure that the different clients knew what was happening um, and and a little bit of uh, tendering work as well for new clients and stuff like that uh, so that's that's what i did for a few years there but i always had to kind of plan to go out on my own and I think it's nearly six years ago I set up Fleming Real Estate. So, so just taking it back 
so Tesco into IBRC into Jones Lang LaSalle and then you decided okay Shane Fleming real estate agents it's time to to make this happen yeah, yeah. what was your mindset in, in at that point because obviously getting a paycheck in every month and all that kind of stuff it's kind of reassuring and it's you know that suddenly when you cut that cord it's it's all on you did you have like clients that you had in mind to approach or i mean how did you create that get a bit of momentum just to get started um i i felt that there there was a few small things that i'd be able to kind of pick up kind of quickly enough um but i i think the biggest motivating factor for me was um if i don't try it i'll never know and if i don't try it i will always always regret it so it wasn't coming down to a money factor it was just like i don't want to be come retirement age um wonder just wonder yeah i never tried like i i kind of was weighing up a lot of different things if i stayed in the industry stayed in employment all that kind of thing and i i think i was losing a lot of motivation to stay in that particular that particular industry for my own self i didn't feel that i wanted to move up uh, the ranks i didn't feel like when i got to retirement age that i'd really have satisfied a need um so that was one of the motive, most motivating factors um I suppose from a personal point of view as well, um, I was going through uh, a divorce at the time or was getting into a divorce. And I was like, well, I'm going through that from a personal point of view. Uh, and that's that's going to be hard to deal with. I, I want to take the opportunity to, from a professional point of view, do what I something I really want to do. So there was like, it's now or never. Uh, let's just do it now. Um, so it was, there was a few motivating factors, but the, the main one was uh i didn't want to regret not doing it yeah that's a good that's as good a reason as any and uh, and i can totally relate and so um take us then through the first you know year or two of of shane fleming like what did it look like was it you know small start um or did you kind of find your feet quickly um i was a small it was a, a small enough start at the at the ferry start i was uh, lucky enough and perhaps um unlucky enough to land a very big client in uh, mcdonald's very quickly after oh, wow. that's that's a big client yeah so um that that was that was a a, a blessing but also maybe perhaps uh a curse. Back, a curse not that like the work i still work with them the work is fine um the work has shifted a little bit and probably I'm doing more the work I'm doing with them now is, is is something I enjoy a little bit more but I think from landing a client like that only a few uh a month or two after setting up I I kind of feel that like that gives you a confidence or an arrogance that perhaps is not what you need at that particular point in time uh perhaps you need to be out there on the street uh trying to dig up as many clients as you possibly can so you um, could have you could have kind of eased back a little saying okay i've got a great client who's going to consistently continually give me work I, I, and therefore yeah. i can ease off a little if i if i want yeah, yeah exactly I, I i i had like one or two things going on i saw this client coming in that was going to be at least a year or two of guaranteed income and i felt okay well like as long as other stuff starts slowly coming in this is all going in the right direction whereas if i'm looking back now i should have gone i should have built on that momentum and use that momentum to really drive drive things uh through um rather than actually just kind of going oh well this is easy if i can pick them up that easy everything yeah 
land on my lap. So I think there was a there was a kind of a mistake made there, definitely from my part uh, in year one, and then like year two, everything kind of like from like I doubled I doubled my turnover year on year for the first four or five years. So nice. everything was going in a good direction then. Um, COVID hit and probably yeah things uh, slowed well, down. Before we jump into COVID, let me just ask. When you started and you're doubling your income year on year, or your revenue, um, did you have a team or was it just you by yourself? I mean, did you did you sort of expand your team and what did what did that look like? Um, so from the first few years, it was uh, me. I did outsource a lot of stuff. So I, I had the, the mindset of um, outsourcing as much as I possibly can from the accountancy side of things um, and everything else from like like. Uh, websites all the other stuff that I could outsource I did and then eventually as as I grew and, and more uh, got more clients in I did outsource like a personal assistant um, so a lot of I did a lot of outsourcing to free up my own time to just to deal with the, the client side of things um, and all the admin stuff was was looked after so that was my kind of strategy in terms of trying to keep keep my cost base down rather than taking on someone else and um, yeah. Yeah, fixed costs. And, yeah. yeah, so that, that again, that's the you learn from all these lessons. Perhaps I probably should have uh, taken people on and, and tried to grow the business uh, faster with more people. Um, it was probably two or three years before, maybe four years in before I started even thinking about taking other people on. And then you get into the whole issue of employment and looking at structures and everything else. And a lot of the work I was doing, um, while I have well, I have done some like residential sales and some um, lettings and stuff like that. A huge amount of that are for people I know or people who've been referred into me. Uh, a huge amount of the work that I have done is on the consultancy side, which is like development appraisals, rent reviews, uh, strategic kind of pieces around service charge and that kind of stuff. So that is um, a huge amount of that is based on my own personal knowledge. So taking someone in, uh, who doesn't have that experience or that that kind of um, knowledge is a different it, it's a different task uh, yeah. rather than taking someone in who's just going to focus on uh, the lettings or the residential side who can just uh, uh, go off and, and do that so yeah you'd be moving into training people and things like yeah, that yeah exactly. so I had looked at options and had looked at different kind of models for that and I, I did spend about a year trying to kind of look at the different models and talk to one or two people um here in Ireland, uh, the guys that are doing Keller Williams um, Ireland, I spoke to them a lot. Uh, it didn't work out for whatever reason, it just didn't suit my my needs, but it did make sense if I was trying to grow a team, but it just didn't make sense for, for how my business was. Um, so I kind of decided like, yeah, so there was a lot that I was trying to do. I think what I had kind of discovered was while I had gone out deliberately tried to set up my own business for myself and my own brand and all of that kind of stuff, what I had done was I'd just given myself another job. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was getting to know that, getting to notice that more and more that I was tied down to a job and tied down to a job that you are personally responsible for the business and the brand and everything else. So it, it was like, how do I tie myself or how do I get myself away from that? Because I don't, again, I don't want to be 65 coming to retirement and go, well, the business I've built is solely based on me. So yeah, you've last, nothing to sell or yeah. Yeah, exactly so in the last kind of two years I, I suppose i've been thinking about that more and more in regards to making sure in 25 years or 
or 30 years when I do come to retire, that that's not the case. Um, it's interesting you say that. It's just I've just had a guest on recently. And um, in fact, his, his, his episode hasn't aired yet. But he was saying that, you know, funny when you when you start your own business, you go from working 40 hours a week for somebody else to, to doing 80 hours a week working for yourself. And uh, and it's only when you start to kind of hire good people and put them around you that you can actually start kind of removing yourself from from the business and actually start working on the business rather than being in the business. And I think that's that's very true. But what I would say is I'm happy to do 80 hours for myself uh, yeah. rather than 40 hours for someone else. Uh, hands down, I don't mind. And I'm not talking about the salary differences or anything like that. I just, from a personal point of view, I much prefer to be working 80 hours or 100 hours. Myself. People like to steer their own boat, I think. Isn't that it? Yeah. Tell um, us. And so did, did COVID then have a dramatic impact on your business? So luckily enough, um, I was, I think, going back to your original point in terms of hiring staff and looking at staff and growing it that way. Um, yes, I was in, I was starting to gear up to a position where I was going to start doing that. And I was putting structures in place to do that. So when COVID hit, it definitely knocked that kind of, um, uh, kind of targets and plans uh, like out of the water. I was like, I can't do this right now. I don't know what the future is going to be. I can't kind of commit to this right now. But in terms of my actual business, I had a few sales and a few lettings ongoing. Um, most of them actually went through fine enough. Uh, they did take a long time to go through and there was a little bit of renegotiation a little bit, but it didn't impact it massively. And because I was doing a lot of consultancy work uh, that was for businesses like McDonald's, I'd also now picked up, like the, or at that stage picked up Circle K and was doing a little bit of work for Circle K. So um, I was doing kind of ongoing rent reviews and ongoing kind of consultancy work for for some um professional landlords and uh, corporations so that didn't disappear like while it became a lot harder to do it over zoom and doing rent review uh stuff over zoom and all that kind of stuff it did become kind of hard work and something that should take like four to five months was taking nine months to, right. to get done. Interesting. So, but but in terms of fees it didn't really hit me um in 2020 uh it, it it didn't grow as much as i wanted it to but i didn't lose didn't lose any momentum if that makes sense okay interesting and so i'm curious at what stage then did the did the, the move to new york take place i i think i can remember you you posted a something on youtube or something and you were talking about the fact that you were able to to get out of the country after the initial lockdown or whatever and you went straight to new york or something like that <laughs> Tell so, us about that. So yeah, so um, my my now wife is 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 from New York. Um, so uh, we were um, we we never planned to come to New York. To be honest with you, uh, we had we've actually bought a house in Dublin in Portobello, and we need to we've got planning permission for the extension there, and we are at tendering stage now before appointing a contractor. But uh, so we are. Long term, our plan is to be back in Dublin, uh, but sadly, um, my wife's mum passed away um, just before, or just as COVID was kind of getting a stronghold. Nothing okay. to do with COVID, but it, 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 she passed away. Um, so we, I, I missed a few important things because I wasn't able to travel. Um, and then uh, when the opportunity to travel came up, uh, we kind of jumped on that and we came over here as quickly as we, we could. Uh, the idea was to only stay for a few months and um, we were lucky enough to be able to get like a good apartment in um, 
East Village. So I'm in East Village right now. And the idea was to stay a few months to so uh, my wife could spend a bit more time with uh, her the family. family. Right. Yeah. And, and Ireland, Ireland was in lockdown. Uh, everyone was working remotely. I was like, sure, I can do this remotely anyway in New York. Um, but the longer we stayed here and the longer lockdown was on in Ireland, we were like, well, we're better off here than we are there. So we decided, well, what, what can we look at? And we decided we'd pl- apply for a green card here for me. Interesting. Once, once we made that decision, it kind of locked me into having to stay here till I got that green card. Right. Uh, and I was not in a position to work until that green card came true as well. So it was a kind of a whole period for me. Um, for the last year, lucky enough, I did get the green card a few uh, weeks ago. So now I'm in a position to talk to you about all these things. I'm now in a position to talk on YouTube because your your heart, your arms are a bit behind your back in terms of when you're applying for this green card. You're not meant to work. You're not meant to. So would uh, just just on that, would uh, posting a YouTube video be classed as work? Yeah, so uh, we did have, we luckily we did have a lawyer and they kind of like said, as long as you're not looking for business from America, right. you're kind of, you're okay. So that's why the content that you post is, is a lot of Irish related markets st- sort of posting. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was, that was, that was kind of deliberate. Like, so I don't go to an inter- a green card interview and they open up a YouTube video and go here, this is what you said here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Green card. Uh, you've violated your rule, your, 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 uh, they call it probation. You've violated your probation period. Uh, so like I was quite conscious and uh, what I posted and probably my, definitely my posts on Instagram dropped off all of last year because I was, I was holding back a little bit and, and perhaps Just nervous. Yeah. yeah. Didn't want to be too out there. Didn't want someone picking up something you said that, could be used against you so that's all behind me now as of a few weeks ago so i could i can now start like engaging over here and kind of doing a lot more a lot more stuff over here so we've actually decided we would stay here for probably about a year um and is the plan to to actually do some real estate agency type stuff in new york um so the plan is so uh we might come back around to this but like in terms of the coaching side of stuff but like right. i think the plan is um the plan is I have started the because I had to wait for my green card and all that kind of stuff to come true, but I have started to get my uh, to do all my hours, my exam, set up my exam for my real estate license. It only takes a few months, or it only takes like a two or three months to get it here in New York, where in Ireland it takes two years to get it. So it's a bit of a quicker process. I have met other, I have met with other agencies and brokerages to talk about kind of how we can work together between Ireland and, and New York. So I have a few things there in the pipeline and a few options for me to kind of consider once the license goes through. Um, but I am consi- I'm looking at other things as well um, from like one, the training course, but also main, mainly kind of uh, an Irish an, an Irish uh, connection with New York and a New York connection with, with, with Ireland. I'm trying to kind of develop a kind of a connection there and, and see how from a property point of view and see how investors... So- Benefit both, yeah. Yeah, so investors could, if they wanted, invest in and, and use you as the kind of conduit, yeah, for exactly. advising them and stuff. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. It's, so I, um, I'm trying to review all the tax strategies and talk to people who are experts in tax and all that kind of stuff to see where the where the strategies and where the perhaps the not the not the not the greatest word, but where the loopholes, where the advantages uh, for different uh, classes of investors. Um, yeah, I owned I owned an apartment in New York for uh, quite a few years, and uh, it was it was a really nice one in Midtown Manhattan, overlooking the overlooking the ice rink in the uh, in the Rockefeller Center. 
and uh, so you know as central as you can get and uh, uh, just beautiful kind of penthouse apartment and but is one of the things that I noticed and it's quite different to what you're used to if you're coming from the, the Irish side is the the monthly service charge uh, you know in Ireland it's you know people pay kind of an annual service charge this was I think $850 a month or something like that and I can remember and, and then on top of that there was air conditioning servicing fees and all of these things and uh, and it was kind of the the monthly outgoings were kind of on a par with what your rent would be collecting in Ireland on a similar kind of size apartment so it was it was really quite interesting um, how do you find it, you know, being there, you're, you're, you're in an apartment now in New York and, and it's your own place. What's it like living there uh, now compared to? I, what I, I, I love it. We're in East Village. Uh, we've got restaurants and bars everywhere we look and we walk outside. There's such energy to the city. Like I, I, I get I get energy from living in the city. Um, I, I grew up just on the on the foothills of the Dublin mountains. Um, so that's where my parents house is. But. I, I get energy from being in the city um, like I can go back and relax in my parents house but I get I get the energy and motivation from being in the city and being around a lot of people and yeah. I think you can meet lots of different people and, and lots of different interesting people and I, I, I get energy off that. Um, I actually think that that's one of the things that you know people talk about you know after the pandemic and stuff like that that you know people are all going to move to the countryside and work remotely but i think there's a natural kind of a draw to the energy that you're talking about in a city especially somewhere like new york i lived in london as well for a few years and th that's got a similar kind of an energy to it and um, just big city energy is i suppose you could call it I, I think people i think people forget all the benefits that cities have like from an educational point of view from like if you're single and dating you very hard to do that in the country uh, yeah you know, and uh it, like from going to cinemas theaters bars restaurants all of these things are part of life and if you can't enjoy them it's it's quite difficult and and, and i suppose one thing actually which is a, a slightly on the kind of sad side as well like one of the reasons we've decided to stay here for another year is um uh, my wife has had two miscarriages so we've we are we are now in a city that has the best um medical facilities best medical facilities and we have seen it from an irish point of view and, and, and from a new york point of view and we are like it's hands down this city has far better services and far better access to medical uh, professionals so we were like if if, if we want to get the best this is where we have to stay and that's an important factor i think for some people in terms of deciding where they stay or where they live from a city point of view being close to healthcare is it's kind major of major factor yeah. like if you're in the middle of nowhere down the country you're miles away from any any good healthcare. like and, and it's not sustainable to have good health healthcare everywhere and realistically these big cities are, are the places to go yeah although there is a there is a cost to i mean they are new york is known for being kind of an expensive city yeah. to live and so there is that aspect it's, of it. it's an extremely expensive city to live in yeah yeah and my it, brother lived there for 10 years so uh, i was I'm very familiar with New York. I used to be over, you know, twice or three times a year and uh, stay with him. He he had a place, he bought a place in Hoboken in New oh, Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. And he used to just take the boat across to the lower tip of Manhattan every morning for work. And uh, great city, all right, yeah. What a boat. Yeah, that, that's only a 10-minute ferry drive as well. Like So, like, I don't understand, like, Hoboken has come up a, a huge amount in the last few years, but, like, I still see it as a as a great buy even now uh, compared to city prices uh, because it's so close. Like ten minutes on the ferry, like is nothing. Like 
Yeah, it's true. So I want to change gear a little bit and talk about your your social media presence and in particular your, your YouTube presence. And it's it's funny because I think that's actually how I came across you. Um, I, I, I found your video on um, talking about the Irish market and things like that. And that's a, it's an area that I'm, I, I've always been interested in, in YouTube and, and building a kind of an audience on YouTube. So tell us what that has been like um, for you and, and what it's done for your business, if anything. Um, so what has it done for my business or what I, I suppose getting back to why I've started, why I started it and that kind of stuff. So I think when I went out on my own, like and set up Fleming Real Estate, I did set up the, the social media accounts. I set up a Facebook page, Instagram um, and uh, YouTube. I kind of let them all just sit there for a long time. Didn't do a huge amount with them. Then I started to get more involved with the Instagram, posting a lot more on Instagram, posting short videos, and they started to get a, a decent amount of tra- traction. And um, I kind of felt maybe, I think it was the end of 2019, I, I kind of made a decision in December. I was like, I'm going to start using this YouTube channel and start putting out more videos. So it kind of tied into when the lockdown was actually starting, but I had made a conscious decision a few months beforehand that I was going to start putting out more videos. So it, it tied in with the lockdown and a lot of people were at home at that time. There was more people watching YouTube. So it, the channel kind of t- um, took off a little bit um, and people started watching these videos and I've got a very good subscriber base in terms of like what's there. It's mainly Irish, but 70% of them are Irish and um, a huge amount are return viewers all the time. So when people reach out to you, I think from a business point of view, if they do reach out to you, which a lot of people do, they already know you. And when they pick up their phone or they send you an email, they always say, I watched your videos on youtube uh lots of great information i have i i want to buy x or i am thinking about selling y or whatever it is and it's not it's not like you have to go out and hard sell yeah no they are they've already they've already they've already decided to go with you um sadly enough in the last year i haven't really been able to benefit massively from it because i've been in new york and i have turned down a lot of work um just because I felt that it wasn't the right thing for me to do uh, if I wasn't going to be able to. I did take on um, a kind of an assistant to help me with some stuff that was ongoing and some stuff that was there, but I didn't think it was appropriate for me to keep taking loads of work on if I wasn't going to be the person who was dealing with it all the time. So, But I kind of see YouTube as a long-term investment um, and part of that kind of long-term building the brand. So uh, as it grows and grows, like, I am getting more and more emails in. I'm getting more messages in. I'd kind of say that I get, I'd say seven, to be fair, about 70% of the messages I do get in are from people who are looking to either get involved in real estate, to work in real estate, or are people who are thinking about how to start investing rather than someone who's actually looking to to sell or actually ready to buy. But there's still a decent amount of, uh, of leads coming through from just people who are looking to buy and sell. So it's definitely worth doing. Um, I would say like, I, would, I, I, I could easily turn around here and say, every agent should be doing it. Every agent should be doing YouTube. And most agencies have some sort of YouTube channel or promoting their, their, their properties or whatever. But it's much easier for someone like me who uh, works for myself, doesn't have to report into anyone and can say what I want to say and similar to you uh, with your, your podcast, you can say and do what you want to do because you work for yourself. And if you look at anyone who's putting out a lot of content uh, in Ireland, uh, particularly, 
they are they they're their own boss and they can say what they want they're not they're not hamstrung by a corporation or a larger uh, brand that, that they might lose their job if they said something wrong on, yeah, on a yeah. channel or not concerned about their their future in terms of sort of going into an interview later on and saying well you you came across and said this and, um, on your youtube channel that's not right that's not perhaps our brand and i understand why more people don't do it in ireland Whereas if you look at America, uh, everyone seems to be on social media and every agent seems to be on YouTube and have their own channel. And that is because they're all self-employed and uh, they can do what, do, what, do what they want. They do work for brokerages and they do work uh, under a brokerage and there will be some brand kind of element to it, but they are ultimately self-employed and they can move around brokerages very easy. So they have a lot more freedom in terms of what they can say. So when when you're not really comparing to or like with like, so it's it's understandable why um, agents in Ireland aren't aren't quite as um, active on kind of social. Mm. I think the person who stands out in my mind most uh, active in this space uh, in the real estate agency is obviously Ryan Serhant, and uh, he, he he's gone from you know being a, a guy that appeared on a TV show to doing something like 2 billion worth of sales through his new company that he set up during lockdown. So it just shows you how building a brand online and all that kind of stuff, it is actually a valid strategy. A lot of people kind of poo poo it because they find it hard to speak to a camera or something like that. And it puts them off, but it really does open doors. And as you say, people approach you and they already have decided that they know, like, and trust you. Yeah. And uh, so there's no convincing them. Otherwise, it's it's they've already made up their mind that you're the guy that they want to talk to. And not, not everyone's going to like your YouTube um, videos, but not you can't you, you can't be everyone. And not everyone can be your client either. So you, yeah. you, can't, you can't please everyone. Yeah. Yeah. There's a certain amount of polarization as well. Like you're going to have people. My TikTok, I have. Um, you know, I get a lot of comments um, that are of a negative nature. Like and. Yeah, because I'll come out and I'll say something and I don't give it a huge amount of thought. It's kind of like, you know, just off the top of my head and people will come back and tell me that I'm you know, wrong over some specific detail and they really kind of attack sometimes. But I find what's funny about it is that the more attacks you get, the greater the engagement. And so the, the, the video goes viral and you end up with more followers. Yeah, so it's, uh, I, I, I think like, I, I suppose my strategy for YouTube is definitely, it's a long-term thing. Uh, I, 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 I mentioned to you before that I went off TikTok because it was too much of a, a time drain for myself. I was just yeah. into it and watching too many videos. So I decided to go off it a little bit. Um, I did uh, go on to um, Twitter when I came over to America just to kind of stay in touch a little bit more with the the opinions in, in Ireland. And I kind of feel like I've, I just, I, deleted, I deleted the app last night because it was just like, it's just too negative. And I just don't want to be- <laughs> Time suck again, yeah. Time sucking and don't want this negativity entering my space anymore. But- I'm very much kind of while, while I have like a decent Instagram following and stuff like that, I don't see a huge amount of kind of value in, in that, if that makes sense. Um, it's more vanity than business leads. Yeah. I don't mind doing it uh, because actually it's, I find it a really good way to connect with people. Uh, like uh, uh, you use, some people use LinkedIn to connect with people, but I actually find like, particularly what's, what's helped me in New York is 
just following certain hashtags with New York real estate or whatever, following one or two of the accounts. And as they post up going, okay, well, that's something I'm interested in as well. And then if that kind of continues, then I can reach out to them and go, well, I'm actually interested in this as well. Can we meet for coffee or whatever? So I've used it for that. I also use the Instagram for like just uh, staying in touch with like friends easier because when they post a video, you can just comment on it and it's a way easier way to stay. And like I follow a lot of like clients and stuff like that. So I find Instagram is really good for that. But realistically, YouTube I see as a long term. That is where I see the value uh, to put more and more um, kind of content behind and more and more of my research behind. Because even if I do put a lot of time and effort into it for the next year or two, I see that as a lot building a long-term brand and that's a, it's a long-term investment for me. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of time that goes into it. And um, it may not be for everyone. Like other agents may feel that like, actually I'm way better off just growing my network uh, on the ground personally. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, it's just a different way of doing it. Um, changing gears again, Shane, I'm just thinking about, you know, when we started this conversation, you were talking about as a young lad, you were very interested in development and stuff like that. Are you tempted to you know, go down that road now professionally and, and start developing or, you know, investing in your own right rather than as a, as an I, 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 I am. And I think whenever I do like kind of a, a coaching session or anything like that with someone, I think that's, that's what always comes out going, yeah, that's really where I should be spending my time and, and focusing on. Like when I, when I came out of college and when I went to go on my own developing, wasn't that complex. I could get my head around it from like uh, a, two or three years working in Tesco doing major developments. I could get my head around what was involved and uh, seeing aside from, from acquisition all the way through now it has got so much more complex and uh it kind of scares me a little bit in terms of how complex it is um and while i think i prefer to get more involved in kind of um the retrofit aside or the redevelopment of stuff rather than straight development is probably where i'm trying to asset manage um certain assets in terms of adding value uh true planning permissions or true um or act, just active I, management, yeah. Active management, active asset management probably attracts me a little bit more at this stage, but but that active management could involve like adding a floor or two to a building if that was a, an option and stuff like that. So that's the kind of, rather than straightforward uh, brownfield sites all the way up or greenfield sites all the way up, I think it's more the seeing value in something that's, that's sitting there and needs to be um, asset managed properly. So, and I prefer, it, I kind of feel like that's the direction I want to go towards um mm. in the long term and um, i'm trying to move myself that direction and, and force myself down that road mm, interesting um shane I'm, I'm conscious of time tell us the best advice you ever got best advice i ever got um that's a hard one um, and did you take it is <laughs> the next question I probably didn't take it um <laughs> I I think like the best advice that I probably didn't take uh, was uh, get a mentor. Um, I don't like I'm nearly forty now, and I never I've never had a mentor. That might be down to my own stubbornness and my own kind of thinking that I can do everything myself. Um, but I think that is something that I regret not doing. And I probably even now looking back, looking at it now, going actually I still probably need to find a mentor and get myself moving. And I think that probably is the best advice 
that I didn't take was go get a mentor. Um, yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. You on that, like at the during the two thousand and sort of seven eight kind of period when when everything was going crazy, like with valuations and stuff. Like I, I was making a huge amount of money, and if I just had someone in my corner tapping me on the shoulder and saying, Gavin, this is not going to last. Like this is start putting some of that stuff away, pay down some debt, you know, and I, and I was kind of like doubling up again, going again and things like this. And just a mentor who could kind of had your, you know, your best interests would have kind of maybe held me back and and saved me from some of that pain, you know? Yeah, definitely. Like I, I think in 2007 ish, or I, I'd come out of college in 2005 and like, like saving was just, I didn't even need to think about saving. One, if you wanted a mortgage, you'd get it at 100%. So you didn't need to save for a deposit. Yeah. Um, so saving wasn't an option. And my salary was increasing like by multiples every like six months to a year. So I was like, there's no point in me saving this in six months' time. I'm going to be paid twice as much. So like it was just, it, yeah, it was crazy back then. So uh, you would look back and go, yeah, you should have saved a lot, <laughs> a lot of that. Um, but you probably would have spent it on something else. It's true. It's true. All right, Shane. Well, look, thanks so much for your time. Tell us if people um, actually my one final piece uh, question and you know, if you're listening, if you're a listener to the podcast, what advice would you give yourself now, your young self, the, the young Shane Fleming, who was kind of coming out of college? What advice would you give yourself looking back now, knowing what you know? I think um, it probably like obviously getting away from the saving point of view, because like everyone says saving the best, but I think uh, it kind of probably is in a little bit in line in regards to the mentor side of stuff, but more probably detailed than that, or more probably kind of relevant to lots of other people uh, would be, uh, be very careful who your bosses are. Um, pick actual leaders, not managers. Uh, pick a leader that you can learn from, from a leading point of view, rather than a manager. Um, and I think that's that's important, particularly in your early career. I learned loads uh, in my early career because I had a great boss um, or a great manager or leader. Uh, but perhaps I didn't over my years. I may not have always had the best uh, manager or leader. And I think that is something that people should always, when they're picking a job, perhaps pick a, a leader over money. That's actually a great bit of advice. I, that's the first time someone's actually said that. But now thinking back in my own circumstances, my first job, I just had a fantastic boss and he was so helpful and guiding me and all that kind of stuff. And then I had other jobs where, you know, they weren't particularly good and you didn't really learn anything and you're kind of just biding your time before the next job, you know? Interesting. Shane, where can people find you if they want to reach out? Uh, well, I'm on Instagram and YouTube. So Instagram is Fleming Real Estate um, and YouTube is Fleming Real Estate property agents i think it is uh, but fleming real estate if you're searching in dublin you probably should find me on youtube or instagram pretty easily um great so stuff you can find me, yeah. all right shane look thanks so much for your time and uh, look forward to uh, talking to you again no problem thanks a million hey guys it's me again just a quick couple of things before you go uh please take a moment to leave a review over on iTunes or whichever platform you do happen to listen to this podcast on. If it happens to be YouTube, then maybe give it a thumbs up and leave a comment below. Um, If you have any questions or if you have a topic that you think I should cover in future episodes, then please do reach out, DM me, or leave a comment below if you're looking on the YouTube video. But um, I'd just love to know if there's anything that you think I should kind of get stuck into as a topic or a subject. You can also connect with me via my Facebook group, which is called Behind the Facade Community. 
And if you're not on Facebook or whatever, you can reach me on the other social media platforms. You can DM me there. Uh, my handle is Gavin J. Gallagher, all one word. The J is important. There is lots of other Gavin Gallagher's out there. Um, you can also join my tribe, and that is just head over to my website, GavinJGallagher.com, and uh, sign up there, and you can get like an email, stay up to date in various projects I'm working on and stuff. All right, look, guys, that's the show. Wishing you an awesome week, and I'll see you back here next week.